Hello everyone out there, Michael Tingster here. Coming Back Stronger is a special edition podcast series focusing on the way food and drinks businesses are bouncing back as the world slowly starts to reopen from COVID-19. We will especially be sharing great stories on how progressive leaders are bouncing back from the pandemic by utilizing the power of technology and delivery. By listening into these conversations in the coming period, you'll be able to pick up great stories, insights, facts, as well as best practices from industry experts, independent operators, to national chains who all are setting a new standard for how to operate in the new normal. Vita Mojo and Hospitality Mavericks join forces on this project due to web shared beliefs on how tech plays a massive role in building companies that's good for people, communities, and the planet. In this episode, we have the head of operation for the Athenian, Patrick Gray, as a guest. He has a lifetime of experience from many great brands. The Athenian was born out of the love for Greek food, and they launched back in 2014 as a small street food venture, offering freshly made Slovakia prepared in the healthiest and most authentic way possible and as you will hear in the conversation with Patrick they have moved very fast since then but especially during the pandemic. Patrick and I talked about how their approach has been to that journey through the pandemic where they had ensured that people were safe first and foremost but also how they have future-proofed the business. We talk about how they made great moves and expanded sites rapidly during the lockdown and what the future plans is. The conversation with Patrick gives you hope and belief that the industry can rise and become great again. So grab your pencil, your notebook, because there's some solid stuff in here you don't want to miss. Enjoy. Welcome to the uh, Coming Back Stronger podcast series with me, Michael Tingser. And we have, uh, I would say, mid, mid-July, mid sneaking into mid-July, and we have had the industry reopened and a lot of things going on. We had the Chancellor out with a bit of bonus the other day on VAT and a voucher scheme. And uh, things are still moving either for some people very fast and for some people very slow. But the guest today will actually talk about how you can actually move very fast through a pandemic. So welcome to Patrick from uh, Athena. Hi, nice to, nice to be on today and join you. Patrick, for people that doesn't know who you guys are as, as a brand and who, who you are, can you just give a bit of context, maybe your elevator pitch on, 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 the, on the business, but also on who you are as a person and what your role is there? Of course. So uh, the Athenian has been trading for just over six years, Uh, started out as a street food uh, operation, serving authentic Greek kind of grab and go food. And was started by two fantastic guys called Tim and Neo, both of which are authentically Greek. And they've run the business uh, up until this year, where they'd managed to take the business to seven sites, uh, split across uh, London and then down into Bristol. Um, I've joined uh, in the role of head of operations, which in many different businesses means different things. In our business, it means that I run the business on a day-to-day basis. Everything goes through me, and then I will report into uh, into the two owners. Um, and we have, through the period of COVID, when we started, as I said, we were seven. Um, and as I sit here today, we are 12 and we will be 14 by the 5th of August. So it's been an incredibly busy time for us. 
during the the lockdown and and all the changes that have happened in the industry. Yeah, if we we, we go bigger back to uh, a big bang in in March, and then the you know the outbreak started, a lockdown started, and uh, it have different stages. But can you tell a bit about what happened from that initial? You know, we need to close down restaurants to 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 where you are now and the journey of acquiring sites and expanding that rapidly. I, I think there's very few that has had those those kind of uh, success stories in all this. Yeah. So uh, when oh, I'd been sort of keeping abreast of obviously what what was coming through in the press around what it obviously was happening or starting to happen in China and. We'd actually started having conversations uh, very clearly uh, between myself and the two owners. Um, I'd only been in the business for just over three weeks. And uh, we started kind of having conversations. What do we think is going to happen? What's going to happen to the market? And the first thing I did was uh, look at kind of our split uh, regarding eating customers and then takeaway, predominantly through delivery as an avenue. And I also, I looked at the estate of kind of team members that we had and sort of decided, okay, where, where do we think there's risk? And most importantly, how do we deal with that? And our approach throughout the whole uh, of COVID has been people first. And uh, before we even went into lockdown, we spoke to our teams. We uh, sent out um, a review to the teams and asked them, you know, what, what do they want? And one of the key bits that we had back from our teams was that they wanted to keep their jobs um, and that as long as uh, we made the kind of right moves at the right time, the, they were all very happy to work. We, uh, As soon as furlough was announced, uh, we had three members of staff across the estate who asked to be put into furlough based on uh, elderly relatives living in their house. Um, but the rest of the team all made it very clear they wanted to stay employed. So we had to move very, very quickly in the early days. Um, and I made what at the time was an incredibly unpopular decision, which was that we were staying open. And when I say it was unpopular, it was because uh, both Tim and Neo felt that it was probably right to close down the business because that's what the pressure, that's where the pressure was coming from, uh, from not only the industry, but also from the press and the government. Um, and my approach was, but we need to think of the longer term impact on our teams, on our people, and also our brands, because we are a small, incredibly uh, socially media popular brand and turning the business off and hoping one day to kind of start it back in the same position. I felt from the very get go, that was never going to happen for, for lots of people. And so we had to make uh, those kind of big decisions. And I guess that's why I was brought into the business. And thankfully, it's proved to be absolutely the right decision, not only for our business, but most importantly for our people. And so in our first kind of three weeks of COVID, our big focus was how do we protect our teams? And so uh, we implemented some really fantastic schemes I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, so we did food parcels for every single member of staff because one of the first things that we looked at was we're going to lose probably around 50% of trades, even if we stay open. And so that's going to probably lead to hour cutting and those kind of things. And then we're going to have teams that aren't earning. And obviously at that point, we didn't know that furlough was going to be kind of created. So we provided food for every single member of staff in the business. And we did that for three months and we provide parcels where I spoke to my supply chain and said, look, you guys have got loads of food. 
how can you help us out on products that we probably don't sell? And my supply chain were fantastic and we were supported greatly through that process. So we underwrote obviously the cost of that. Then we did a walk to work scheme um, because that was the next big bit that we were kind of getting back from the teams, which is they wanted to come to work, but they felt uncomfortable coming to work because of public transport, especially in London. So we did a really fun geographical exercise, which was that we uh, got on Google and worked out exactly where our teams lived. And then we worked out how much uh, time they would need to walk to work. And then we paid them to do that. So we massively increased our labor costs uh, in doing so, um, but it created an environment where our staff felt safe. And then I went after PPE. And so we uh, made sure that we had PPE. We've had PPE in stores for over 12 weeks now. And we created a process called Alone Zones. So before the official guidelines were in about distancing, uh, the bit of information that we had at that time was that obviously this was spread kind of human to human. So we needed to maintain as little contact as possible. So we developed two meter uh, spaces in all of our kitchens and our teams had to stay in their zone. So we went out and marked all of our kitchens and our restaurants up and they stayed in their little little zone. And then throughout the whole process, we've continued to evolve to implement even kind of stronger processes to to maintain that. And I guess, yeah, besides that, uh, you know, keeping, it's great to hear you putting people first, but also in the same time you are doing this lockdown, you are starting to expand. Yeah. And not just uh, one site, but uh, in, in incredible amount of sites. Uh, can you give a bit of an overview about what's happened and where you're opening and what the, what the plans are? Sure. So what I identified in, in my role is obviously my, my, my key role is to protect the business. And so what I looked at was if we lose 50% of trade, can we afford to continue? And revenue is obviously critical to any business. And I knew that I wasn't going to have any normal levers to be able to generate further revenue, as in I wasn't going to be able to offer, you know, marketing exercise or any of those kind of things. And so I identified that actually, if we opened a lot of stores very quickly, we could get the revenue number back that would protect the core business. Um, and so my approach was I reached out to Deliveroo um, and discussed the options of additions, um, which is some people refer to them as kind of their dark kitchen side, which is where they've got these multiple uh, brands in one space. So we started conversations with them, but then we also went super creative and I started reaching out to friends of mine in the industry uh, who I knew had restaurants that they'd closed down and said to them, would they let me trade in their space? And so we went through a load of negotiations with that. And then we found some other projects uh, in London. We even went as far as placing adverts on Gumtree to advertise to restaurant owners saying, we've got a business, we'd like to come and operate in your space. Uh, can we do a deal? And so I went out and saw some very unusual restaurant spaces in London. Um, but uh, we then signed an agreement with Deliveroo to expand across their additions estate. And that meant going and opening Reading, Brighton and Cambridge. And that was going well because we opened Reading and were breaking records left, right and centre. We went to Brighton to open Brighton. And one day before we opened, so we had the full team and everything in place. We got a phone call from Delivery HQ to tell us that they decided to close down their addition uh, estate because of COVID. Um, and I obviously didn't take that particularly well because we'd been building plans around expanding and more importantly, we had people taken on board. 
And so through about another three weeks of some pretty high level, pretty tough conversations, we managed to convince Deliveroo that that was not the right strategy. And uh, as part of that, we then signed up to do a subsequent four more. So we have now opened uh, in COVID, Brighton, Reading, um, Manchester, Leeds. Uh, we are opening Nottingham in on the 5th of August. Um, Reading, we all took the collective decision that we were the only site within it that was profitable. And so we understood why delivery couldn't carry that cost. So we allowed or we agreed that that would be closed. But we then also opened further sites in London through other opportunities. So a group called Karma Kitchen, who we're working with, and we've opened in Hackney. And we are just about to sign the deal on probably another two to three sites with Karma in the next um, three months. And we have also got our own bricks and mortar site that we were building just before COVID hit. And that got delayed by six weeks because obviously we couldn't physically build. But as soon as we were allowed, the restrictions were lifted so that we could start building again. We did. And that site is now complete. Um, and we will be opening that uh, on the second week of August. And that is the first bricks and mortar site uh, that I will be aware of that will be opening, certainly in London Bridge post-COVID. But I'd be confident to say it'll be one of the first restaurants full stop to be opening in the market. What a journey. I, I lost track of how many how many sites have you then opened? So we we keep talking internally that we're opening eight sites in 12 weeks, um, but it's actually uh, it's six new ones. And then we had two that were closed down because um, we w operate within the box park uh, uh, arena and they chose to close the sites down. Um, and I'll be honest that again, uh, I was pretty tough in my response to them because I felt it was the wrong decision at the wrong time. Um, but we had to yield because obviously they, they operate with multiple, uh, operators. So we lost, uh, Shoreditch and Wembley for, uh, how long were we closed? I think we were closed for about six weeks. Um, but again, we've managed to get those reopened. So as a, as a central team, we've opened eight sites in 12 weeks, which will break any record I've ever done in my career. And, and, and I've done, nine and 50 restaurants in two years so you know even for me this is fast but it's absolutely the right thing and most importantly is creating jobs and that was you know huge part of our motivation to to be able to do this because we've put nearly 60 jobs back into the market uh and every single member of staff that was employed with us is still employed with us and will continue to be employed with us and that's probably our greatest success of this whole period Oh, wow! Wow! What 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 a what a journey! It's uh, I think you're probably one of the the few that has a that has a journey like. What about um, uh, what about the future? Is there any more like? Are you going to continue in this speed, or you're now looking a bit observing what happens next? So, um, my my kind of observation period isn't actually particularly related to COVID. When when you open stores at such a rapid pace. The most important thing is to protect the core of the business to make sure that the the ethics, the the people, the sort of brand standards, all of those things are not only implemented but resonate. So we always intended that we would sort of get through this period. We'll probably take circa kind of six weeks to go back to the estate and really, really focus um, because as you expand, you always have to be very, very careful of the tail. What you don't want to do is what so many companies will do, which is expand too quickly. And then, you know, standards will drop and obviously the customer experience. So 
We're going to probably spend the next six weeks really, really focusing on that. And then absolutely, we're going again. We, I am currently negotiating, as I said, some, some stuff with Karma, but more importantly, between, I would suggest, another four bricks and mortar sites uh, before 2021. Um, so, yeah, with those, those deals are in place. It's just about can I get the people in the right place to be able to do them? Yeah, yeah, no, that was my my next question again. Now, what about the the people bit? Because we all know when we scale, one thing is the physical element, the product, the the advertising, all that can be done. But the people bit and actually making sure that you have the people, the right people on the bus, and being able to train them in your standards, as you just mentioned yourself, I guess guess that's the biggest challenge here as well. Even even in a situation where they're probably going to be, unfortunately a lot of great people available uh, as things are moving right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been very strange because obviously I came here to, to be honest, to kind of professionalize uh, the business, to take it from kind of startup to, okay, this is a, this is a solid kind of brand um, that we can then build as a foundation. So there's lots of internal work that I needed to do on process, procedure, recruitment, development, all those kind of bits. And obviously that's probably the biggest cost to our business of COVID is that I've had to focus purely on kind of maintaining and growing the estate rather than actually really developing the estate. So absolutely we want to bring the right people in, get them indoctrinated into the business. But it's actually funny, recruitment has been incredibly tough through COVID. So for instance, when we opened Reading, which was crikey, nearly eight, nine weeks ago, um, it was impossible to recruit because everyone who would have considered looking for a job obviously thought like everybody no one's recruiting so therefore no one was really looking and now I'm in a very strange position where we are getting inundated obviously with CVs and things of that nature but they are either overqualified and in a position where they're kind of desperately looking to take work which of course we want to facilitate, but there is a reality. There's a reason why you don't give, let's say, an operations manager a general manager role because they'll become frustrated or, you know, they maybe don't have the the current skill set. So it's a very, very weird recruitment world at the moment because I'm getting a huge volume of applications, but probably the most diverse, unqualified type of applications. So it's actually making the process a lot harder. Uh, to give you an idea, for team members in um, Manchester, we had over 400 applications for the role, and we would expect somewhere around kind of 50 to 60. Um, and so that's a massive kind of uh, weight of expectation and a huge process. We then did a, an open session for trial shifts, and we ended up with 64 people who turned up in a two-hour window for a, for a position. Um, and so... You know, we're all we're all learning and we're going to find better ways to do it and better ways to get through to the right people, because I totally appreciate how people will probably have to step down in roles to get roles. But it's it's about making sure that it, it's the right fit for them, because it has to be the right fit for the business. It's like, you know, the whole world have just turned upside down compared to pre pre pandemic. And again, and then this is another challenge, as you said, to, to deal with It's almost two extremes in a way from one extreme to the other where you couldn't even get people to, to do the, the basic things sometimes. Uh, so delivery, I guess, has played a massive role for your business in all that. 
how is it now? Is that still a, a very big part of the revenue or has it changed the way you think about the business model in general from uh, bricks and mortar to more delivery focused or uh, are you still figuring that out as you move forward? So again, part of part of what I was here to do was kind of work out what's the best Athenian as in try and create a kind of model of something that we can sort of move forward. And one of the joys of our cuisine type and the lack of uh, kind of direct competition that we have within it, we have we have every space that we can kind of move into, whether that's grab and go, quick service, even, you know, more kind of formal sit down. And so I'm probably no closer in defining what the kind of the the true Athenian really is, because as I said, we just had to kind of operate and, and react very, very uh, aggressively. Delivery is a big part of what we do. It always was. As I said, we were circa kind of 50-50 split anyway. And so it will continue to be a big part of what we do. But it's about positioning the sites and those things moving forward um, so that we kind of optimize that. And that's where additions has been very, very helpful to us. Um, I believe that the industry will return in a very, very different form. I think that the customer experience, the customer journey has um, changed and changed probably for good, even because the habits have been broken. So I think that you will see lots and lots of customers, myself included. I I would eat out at least probably three to four times a week since restaurants have been back open. I've got little to no ambition to rush back to restaurants. And if I'm a marker of one, uh, I'm sure there's others. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to continue to learn and, and uh, sort of pivot. We launched a virtual brand uh, called the Athenian Plant Based, which has been really successful in covid and we also launched the Athenian market, which was uh, so that people would get sort of um, bare essentials. That's something that works okay, but I wanted us to be focused on our core. And so that was something that we always knew would have quite a short shelf life, and it has had. But the plant base, we will definitely continue to to invest in and, and expect to continue to grow that out because it has proved to be very, very uh, successful. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're continuing on that route. Yeah, and I guess when you talk about uh, you know the Athenian plant based as well, if you think about the the the, uh, the Greek diet as well, and how much you know, I know that there's there's meat in the Greek diet, but also I know there's a lot of great plant based food there, which uh, which can easily compete with or even be better than what's already out there. So I can definitely see that as a a great great uh, you know avenue to pursue as well. And I you can see there's a lot of these plant based uh, concepts. Uh, really growing within this pandemic as well yeah i think it's i think it's because people are probably having a little bit more time to themselves to make sort of food choices um i think that's part of it i think that we naturally have right to be in the space as you said uh the greek you know uh diet uh there is a lot of plant-based eating that goes on in that so we we have validity because i think when you see let's say kind of you know uh, i don't know a, a mcdonald's or somebody uh coming coming along with a plant like i think it was burger king with a with a plant-based whopper they have no real integrity in the space you know when 90 percent of what they sell is is kind of meat um we were never in that space you know you could easily come in we had a fantastic vegetarian uh offer anyway and so what i've tried to do is kind of maximize uh that opportunity but also we've got uh, one of the owners is a vegan um and so you know being able to to service that requirement with genuine understanding and knowledge 
um, is is really important. Um, I don't think the plant based restaurants uh, in the next kind of couple of years can stand purely alone because, for instance, specifically on delivery, any kind of a tag that would be associated with a restaurant, every single restaurant now will have a vegan tag because they'll sell one vegan product. Um, and so if you just search vegan, you'd hit every restaurant still on delivery. So that's why we tried to kind of position and say, well, actually, if you are a vegan family or um, a couple that are vegan, come here and feel comfortable to order. But actually, as part of a group dynamic, even though veganism has grown so rapidly, it's still actually a very small percentage of people. And more importantly, it stops the rest of the party being able to order often is the case. Um, so you end up with people uh, sort of, you know, therefore not placing group bookings. That's why we've kept it across both platforms. And we actually sell all of our plant-based food across our core menu. Um, and we did that to see what would happen. And it did not affect the sales in the plant-based menu at all. So it, it showed us that, you know, a a purist is going to the plant-based, whereas an occasional or a flexitarian or someone like that is is comfortable to have it. And there's always exploratory people because they want to find out what this isn't chicken really tastes like and it really does taste like chicken so you know it's a good alternative yeah it's super interesting you also mentioned before that you know habits are broken and i i totally agree with you what what do you think if you just had to mention three things that will change around the way we we consume uh food and where we consume it and when we consume it uh in 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 the coming period the next couple of years so I think I've I've come from a world of breakfast uh, being um, the kind of the I can't think of how I describe it the kind of unicorn of the industry. Uh, everybody thinks that breakfast is the answer to to their their restaurants problems, and it so rarely is. And as I said earlier, I, I was lucky enough to be involved with Bill at uh, Bills. And we had we had a right to be in the breakfast market. It was a big part of what we do. But I know lots of brands kind of try and pivot into it later on. I think the breakfast market is going to really uh, struggle and be really changed because I think people have got very used to eating breakfast at home. Uh, even sitting here, sort of residing in London, I think that people uh, will probably be less inclined to have that kind of occasional, you know, I'll grab grab something for breakfast and something for lunch and then kind of eat at home so i think the breakfast market is probably going to be as a time of day i think it's probably going to be most affected i think the the biggest change in actual habit is that there was a big group of people who would do delivery for couples or single people in a house i think party booking on delivery is going to uh, expand massively because i think that what people will experience when they go to sit down restaurants is a a level of fear and uncomfortableness that they will they'll trust themselves and trust the people they're with but do they trust everybody within the restaurant and the restaurant environment and so i think that adding in the elements of control which is your own uh sort of arena whether it's your house or or you know an area that you choose to go to i think will give people comfort so i've actually already been invited to a few kind of you know come around my house and we'll all order from delivery and sit down and share it rather than let's meet up in a restaurant and have it. And I think that that is an area that's really going to change 
because people still don't particularly want to cook uh, for big parties either. And that's often why you go out. Um, and with something like, you know, delivery or Uber or any of these things, you still have the capability. People can order what they want. Um, and I think that's an area that's going to be a huge opportunity uh, for, for people moving forward. Super interesting uh, take, especially the, the party thing. I haven't been thinking about that before, but you're absolutely right. And you will probably see, you know, see that restaurants, maybe even from an infrastructure point of view, would change to have more of those areas. Um, yeah, super, super interesting uh, point. I've been I've been building restaurants for the last probably 24 months that have started to seriously embrace delivery. Uh, the industry for way too long uh, kind of fought against it. It was kind of perceived to be this kind of mafia that came in, took all, took you, took money from you in commission and stole away your kind of trade and your takeaway. Uh, but the businesses that uh, embraced a delivery uh, have proved to obviously be successful and moving forward, that will be the case even more so. So for instance, uh, within Byron, we were building restaurants where there were separate entrance and waiting areas for delivery drivers. Uh, I think you'll see more and more of that the case. I know Itsu have done it really well where they've built in kind of delivery hatches where riders can come up. It's going to have to become more and more part of restaurant design about considering what does it mean as an experience because as an in-customer, it's horrendous. You walk into a restaurant, sit down, and then watches 50 guys stood in crash helmet waiting in a restaurant. It's not it's not an inviting, enjoyable experience, and customers will only put up with that for so long. Um, and especially, it's very weird, we always talked about it, the winter elements of it, because obviously through the winter, you've then got the issue of the door being open all the time because you've got riders coming in and out. So these are, these are areas that you will definitely see, you know, real progression and development uh, within the industry. And I think that people will enjoy eating in the home more but still return to the habits of they don't really want to cook seven days a week, three meals a day. Um, you know, and it's one of the things that we considered um, uh, when we were looking at do we stay open or not. There is, if, if you believe the statistics, there's about 14 million meals eaten out of home a week in the United Kingdom. And so as, as was proved with the supply chain issues that happened during covid which was all of my suppliers had way too much food and didn't know what to do with it because all the restaurants were closing down whereas supermarkets couldn't get into the supermarket quick enough because you not only had people trying to go to supermarkets and uh, sort of stockhold but more importantly there were these 40 million meals that were having to be serviced from somewhere and so uh, as i said i think i think you'll see more of people wanting to be at home but the the requirement of cooking still still is going to inspire people not to um you know just cook it themselves they will always look for alternatives yeah but also guess then when we had we have been home cooking more including myself and my family and our cooking skills have again got a notch up in a way so i guess as you say when you go out what you said as well with the breakfast mark it really has to be good when you're spending your hard-earned money and maybe even you're going to be a bit tight on money uh, for a period. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I've absolutely loved about the addition uh, route is that it takes restaurants back to what restaurants really should have been around, which is I'm judged purely on my food, uh, not on how much money I've spent on the refit, not how cleverly I've trained my, you know, my, my front of house teams and all those kind of things. It came down to the quality of the food. And we've continued... 
lots of people have tried to stay open and have not done so successfully. Lots of businesses I know of have reopened delivery only and then closed it down as well because the quality of the food and most importantly, value for money. In fact, something Bill taught me um, years and years ago was we're not trying to be cheap. We're trying to offer value and value is what people respect the most. So if something needs to cost £10, then it needs to cost £10 and you shouldn't kind of apologize for that. Um, So, you know, supermarkets shouldn't sell four pints of milk for a pound because it doesn't cost a pound to make it. So it's ridiculous that we're charging less than it, it makes. But same in restaurants, we have to offer value to customers and customers are more savvy. They've been going back to supermarkets and realizing the price of meat, the price of vegetables, price of cheese. Um, and so we've got to make sure we constantly offer value. Um, and that's part of one of the big projects that I've been working on, which is looking through our menu and making sure that we are offering great value everywhere. And we're not kind of taking lazy wins of, you know, the old ways of, you know, Coke at three quid uh, on a restaurant menu. It's not going to stack up anymore. It's not right. You know, everyone knows the price of a can of Coke. You can't charge an extra two quid just because it helps your margin. You need to charge what it costs you to serve to a customer. And that's exactly what we've done. So, you know, for instance, through COVID, cans of Coke on delivery are only a pound. That's very strategic on my side, which is everyone knows what it costs. So why shouldn't we charge them that? Why should we just take the opportunity to, you know, because people will remember those kind of things and come back and order more. And average order value is nowhere near as exciting to me as repeat order customer. That's that's what I really want. I want customers to feel like they get great value, not that they get some bill shock and suddenly going, how on earth did I just spend 30 quid on, you know, a couple of wraps and, and a drink? You know, that's 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 not what we want to achieve. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting using the the term the savvy consumer. We had Brian Moore, who was a retail and a leisure expert on, and he's talked about the 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 consumer were savvy before, but they are ultra savvy when they come back after this. They will know exactly as you say what everything costs in different channels. So be be aware that you don't try to tr- uh, trick them into something because they will figure it out and they will tell other people that's what you're doing. So yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a very different world to to operate in. What what about technology? Technology is also an interesting thing. There's been a lot of technology implemented faster than ever, I think, across the industry. What, what how has it been with with you guys? What, what have you done with technology, and what role does that have right now in boosting the performance of your business? So we used tech in the very early days for safety. Um, that was absolutely critical to me. So we use a, a great company called Trail which is where all of our documentation is kept on an app and therefore it lives in the cloud. And so where we needed to make very quick changes to sort of health and safety process and procedure, um, that allowed me to do that and most importantly, we to track it. And if we didn't have technology of that kind of standard, you know, where where historically, if you change something, you know, to train it out to an estate is very, very hard to do, but more importantly, to make sure it continues to do. Uh, is even harder so for instance when we implemented temp checks on staff if i didn't have the technology to know that i can go on and look at a report and see every single member of staff when they arrive what their temperature was is it being done religiously every time they go in and out of the kitchen all those kind of things it's allowed us to do that Um, we've used technology or expanded technology in things like cctv uh, so that uh, we make it clear to our customers that obviously they're on CCTV to try and enforce things like social distancing and stuff because obviously 
trading through the whole period. It's been quite shocking how little people have kind of followed guidance in certain areas. And, you know, as I said, my, my main focus was to protect my teams. Um, and then the biggest change we made on technology is we've uh, been working with Vita Mojo uh, to create contactless ordering completely. Um, so uh, using kiosk ordering, and we've rolled that already into three sites and we're rolling it across the estate. Uh, at a very quick uh, process. I think Leon had a project they were working on, which was meant to be 24 months, and we're trying to do it in six weeks. So it's been it's been a fast move. Um, we're really excited by the results. Um, first of all, definitely as in a contact element, it means that I'm running restaurants now. There is zero contact between my team and the customers, um, which is fantastic um, for, for a safety side. But then we've had to address, okay, but how do we still bring experience into the journey? Uh, because obviously, you know, there's a reason why people come into restaurants. Um, but it's also helped us purely financially as well. So uh, by people ordering through kiosk, we've seen about a 12% lift in AOV uh, in those sites because customers, when they're stood in front of a tablet, are more, are more likely to order more. Uh, without kind of order guilt, which is well known within the industry where people don't like to order a lot of food at the same time. But there's also another thing, which is it's a more natural journey. If you stood at a till and said to every customer, do you want this? Are you going large with this? Are you going to add this? It feels very hard sell. Whereas with a tablet, allowing a customer to journey around it themselves, uh, we've seen that they've actually increased on things like sides and those kind of bits because there's also photos um, through Vita Mojo, which obviously my menus don't have photos. And so that again, because we have a product that we have to kind of introduce a lot of customers to, they maybe don't understand what Sluvlaki is or Gidos. And so that's really helped us as well. So, you know, that's, that's a really, really exciting venture. And as I said, we're, we're going to do that. And then my final bit on tech is that I've been involved in some think tanks for, uh, delivery. And I'm probably going to get in trouble because I don't think they've actually announced this to the public yet, but uh, they are launching table ordering service through delivery. So you'll be able to sit in my restaurant and order via delivery. And then obviously uh, that won't have the commission attached to it that a normal delivery customer will have. So it kind of does what Vita does, but what it does is it means it's obviously on every, every person's phone. Um, and they can literally sit there, order it. And then we create things called virtual tables. So we can tell customers, you know, your food will be here and you just come and pick it up. And there it is, um, which is going to be a really cool project. So we're launching that in the next couple of weeks and really interested to see how that one comes off. Yeah, I've definitely seen something floating around uh, in the environment. So I think it must be out that they are working on it. I don't I don't think you're breaking a, a business secret then. And it was super interesting with all the, the technology and how rapidly. Do you think you would have done it as rapidly if it hasn't been because of the pandemic? Um, no. Um, they were projects we were going to work on. We're just working on them quicker and, to be honest, more in real time. You know, these, these are the kind of projects we would have worked on in the background and we would have done probably more robust testing and all those kind of things. Whereas I've had to make the decision of, okay, we need to get these out there and we're going to kind of learn as we go. And as I said, one of the biggest challenges of COVID is we've been in a reactive state for kind of, you know, probably 16 weeks now. So it's, a, it's exhausting, but it's, it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking and it means we're going to fail and we're going to get stuff wrong. And we need to hope that people give us the capacity to do so and understand that 
I actually said to a friend of mine the other day, I fail more than anyone I know, but that's because I try more than anyone I know. And, you know, I want that kind of mentality in the business. So with with the tech side, you know, of course, we probably would have taken longer, but we would have got there because they were logical moves for for the business to take. But the joy of this kind of issue and, and pandemic and thing is that, you know, innovation will be rife because people have to answer the question, which is how do we how do we inspire and encourage people to continue coming to restaurants, continue ordering and continuing believing in brands um, and some won't make it. Um, but I've been in industry for 25 years nearly, and this has always been the case. You know, our industry is always going through some kind of unusual situation or a crisis or competition. We're in such a competitive industry. And so this, this, I've approached this as another one. It's obviously such a severe one. It's such a big one, but went through the recession, you know, the financial crisis, uh, we've gone through so many major changes that this to me, you know, you will see some fantastic innovation coming out of this. And I'm sure there's somebody sat at home right now with an idea and will do something incredible uh, that will will change the market. And, and you know, I'm, I'm so excited to see that. And I hope that all the little things we're doing will, will keep us, you know, right at the front. Um, and it's definitely flattened the playing field. Um, because the big businesses that were overspending and under delivering, they won't be able to do that anymore. And that's, that's, what's really great is because independent businesses that are self-financed and most importantly are financially sensible will be the ones that will come through and the ones that are kind of trying to, you know, land grab and, and, you know, buy success, they just won't have the money to do that. And, and, and that's really good because as I said, it makes it a much fairer kind of market. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. It's quite interesting you're saying there because actually all innovation starts with small one percent uh, progress all the time, and it it's a bit like you know the the innovation you've gone through is because you stayed open. We talked a bit about that before we went on the podcast, and I one of the things I've been saying to people that have uh, I've been talking with said like keep try to trade in some kind of way because you will learn something you would never learn in normal trading condition if you fail or not that's not so important the most important is that you learn and adapt very quickly and the speed of organizations uh, how their teams can move and how they are you know working the dynamics together that's going to be critical for the future because you're going to be as you say it's not just we're not it's not over yet there's more waves coming and you need to move very fast through those waves and adapt very quickly and there's going to be great opportunities within that for uh, for the for the nimble operator I totally agree with you absolutely you know looking looking at the big operations and as I said I've been involved in them in different points in my career you know I know how difficult it is to affect change and in this market you have to like you have to be able to change in a minute not in a week, not in a month, you need to be able to, you know, do it. And I said to you before, obviously we came online. One of the things that I did was that I created a, an Instagram live for my estate. So we created a private uh, page for every team member that, that they could join. And what it allows me to do is to speak to my team every single day, direct to them. And that is a, a huge benefit because not only it means that communication is clear, honest, not misinterpreted, not mis, uh, sort of uh, represented, uh, but more importantly, it's allowed us to keep moving and keep changing. And as I said, we, we've done loads of things through COVID that haven't worked, but we're not dwelling on those because to me, zero sales and zero jobs is the ultimate failure. And so anything above that was success. 
and actually where we've ended up is beyond beyond anyone's wildest dreams um but most importantly this is this is just the beginning uh, of what we want to do because i said we want great jobs for people and that that has been our, our biggest ambition and you know i'm so proud that in two weeks time we are handing out pay rises to the to the whole estate as in we will then present ready for q3 a complete restructuring of pay across the estate um and we're only able to be in that position because of what we've achieved during this period because we want to be a great employer and obviously right now we lots of employers out there thinking about wage cuts wage freezes um you know paying minimum wage all those things we 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 don't want to take that opportunity we want to go above and beyond because that's what our teams have done during this period you know they've continued to come to work you know for i made it very clear if i was going to ask my teams to do this i was going to do it so every single day in covid under all of the restrictions i have gone through hundreds of face masks and more liters of antibacterial than i'd like to 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 realize because I've been front and center with my teams in this challenge. But as I said, we're only at the beginning because yeah, there, there probably is most likely to be more waves, but there is a intrinsic change to our industry. And we've got to make sure that we continue to challenge ourselves to keep right up at the front of that um, and continue listening to the customers. And the customers tell us, they tell us through their ordering habits, uh, what they want. And we need to make sure we're in a position to do that. Um, and we need to be financially prudent and as I said, that that's another really important part of the industry that has been so sorely forgotten over years. It's kind of spend as much money as you can. And then when you run out, go and find someone else to give you more money. That's not how we run this business. This is not how we will run this business. We will spend what we've got and we will fight hard to get as much as we can to invest in, in the estate. Yeah, that, that, that you you actually covered very well. My my last question I always have on on this episode is about what is your top three advice to to other leaders out there. So we if we just should summarize them, uh, Patrick, in, in top line, uh, the, your top three advice to to leaders out there, they should start thinking about now as we are in this I will call it temporary phase of we are just out of lockdown. We're moving into some kind of new environment. What what is your top three advice? I think you you've said it during the podcast, but what what would be what would it be to to other leaders out there in the industry? I don't want to sound too cheesy, but for me, it's be brave, be prudent, and be honest. And I think those three things will see everybody through uh, this challenge because I think that being brave is critical. Taking decisions uh, at the right time. Um, and in a timely manner, uh, I think is critical. I think being prudent as in not spending what you haven't got and making sure that you are protecting cash because we know there will be further challenges, you know, down the road. Um, and then being honest, uh, I think is probably the thing I would say to everybody in the industry, which is telling the truth sometimes is very hard. People sometimes really don't like to hear it. And that means talking to your teams, talking to your landlords, talking to your customers, telling them the truth and then being brave enough to see see how that kind of lands rather than trying to spin it or you know deliver it in incorrect way i've seen some appalling behavior of, of brands you know not being honest with their estates during this period um and i understand why they they haven't they've kind of you know told what they need to but we have been we took the decision very early on we were going to tell everybody the absolute truth and sometimes that was really really tough because they were conversations of 
you know, we're not sure we're going to survive this. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know if we'll ever, re- you know, open or whatever. Um, but I think it's the right strategy because right now everybody deserves to hear the truth. So, yeah, because you can take the right actions from there on, no matter how bad it is. Yeah. And it, and it brought it, what I found in my, in my business is it's brought everybody together because it means we're not hiding anything. We are, we are in this together. And, uh, as I said, that, that will be the mentality that I most hope we maintain once we move away from this kind of reactive state, which is a togetherness, which is, I, uh, I got sent over a video from delivery. We did some filming for them and we've been filming a channel four documentary during, during this, uh, the whole COVID, uh, situation. And, um, I sent over a short video and it was around the, the food that we provided for, uh, the frontline workers. And I sent a message out to my whole estate and just said, guys, this is, this is what you've done. This is what you've done in your sacrifice, in your hard work. And my, my brother-in-law is a doctor and he constantly has said to me, you know, that he has obviously received huge amounts of admiration and, you know, great, lovely well wishes and all those kind of things. And he, he kept kind of trying to share that with me because he was like, it's people like you in your business that maybe in these kind of situations, people forgot. And, you know, I can't scream and shout enough about how incredible my team have been because I I will be honest enough to admit it was very, very scary in the early days, you know, going to work, um, not knowing what's going on. Are we going to be safe? Can we protect ourselves and our teams? Is this the right decision? Um, But together we managed to, to come through that and we will we will pay the benefit of it. And that is that we've got a business that is not only stable, but more importantly, is is very ambitious to, to move forward. Patrick, absolutely amazing journey uh, you told us about here. And, and what of a lovely optimism and uh, again about the, the future of our industry and some, some great advice here and some really good nuggets for, for other people to be inspired from. So thank you so much for coming on, talking about the Athenians' journey in all this and and your own, and uh, I send you all the power and and energy you need to uh, get through the the next couple of waves, whatever that's gonna hit us. And I'm, I'm sure you're gonna do do very well. It sounds very exciting. What's going on? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and and lovely to chat. Wow, Patrick, what a great energy and optimism for for the future here for the industry. And also, thank you very much for all your great and solid advice for for people out there. It looks very optimistic when we had a conversation like this. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share it with people you think would benefit from it, rate it, and let us know what you think. Coming Back Stronger series is brought to you by the wonderful people at Vitamojo, the digital partners for ambitious operators, who are helping great brands as Leon, Yo Sushi, Farmer J, and other leading operators transforming their businesses with technology. Check them out at software.betamojo.com or contact them directly at nick.leadle at betamojo.com. Thanks for listening and keep innovating.